Good morning. Oh, there's a few of you out there. Good morning. Wonderful. It's good to see all of you this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, this morning to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. 2 Chronicles 24. Or if you have your harmonies, you could turn in your harmony to, let's see here, page 18. Because, in fact, again today, we're going to go back and forth between 1 Kings, or I'm sorry, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles to get the whole story. In fact, there's some things by comparing the harmonies today that help us to piece together the history um, and teach us some important lessons. You might come to some um, confusing conclusions if you had only Kings or you had only Chronicles, but when you compare the two, um, some issues that arise are clarified. So we need to keep both in mind as we go. But we're going to, if you just are going to stick in one place, 2 Chronicles 24 is the place to be this morning, for it has the most complete record. Well, we're going to start off this morning going way back in time. But before we do that, let's pray together. Our great and good God, we come to you and thank you for the record that you have left for us of history. Lord, may we learn from your inspired record. May the little details and the lessons learned by men of old be learned by us. And I pray that we might learn it from their example, that we fail not as they failed, that as Corinthians says, we lust not as they lusted, but also at the same time that we would follow in the good examples set forth. Lord, teach us now as we look back into history and look into your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, where are we in history? Did we get up here ever, Ethan? Ah, yes, we did. So, here we go. 2 Kings 12 and 2 Chronicles 24. If you have your harmony, follow along there. Here's our timeline. You know the first three kings. What happened after Solomon? What happened after Solomon? The kingdom was divided, wasn't it? So it was no longer one kingdom, but now became two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We have met a guy, and you can see him there on the end of this timeline down at the very bottom right side. Do you see Jehoiada down there? And you see we have that question mark before him, and there's a question mark after him. Well, if you look at this timeline... Jehoiada, we're not exactly sure when he was born, and we're not exactly sure when he died, but we know how long he lived, and the record tells us that he lived 130 years. That means that he was born sometime in the reign of Rehoboam, and he died sometime after the 
23rd year of Joash. And so we see this timeline, and we've covered a lot of history in that. Well, at the same time we've covered a lot of history, uh, Jehoiada lived through most of it. And so when we find him here today, we, we find him uh, having lots of background and lots of experience. But let's see where we're at. We have a king. Who, who remembers this king's name? You want to go up and sit on your throne? Who remembers his name? Hopi? Joash. His name is Joash. How many of you want to be king when you're seven years old? Oh, I wouldn't want to be king when I'm seven years old. Well, let me introduce somebody else to him, to you all that you don't find in the record at this time. But um, he's here. Um, hey. Gavin, you want to come on up here? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I need you to. Even if you don't want to, I need you to. You want to go up there and stand next to the king? Now, I want you to imagine with me for a moment these guys are friends. All right? Here's Joash, and here is Gavin. But is he really Gavin? Well, I, I want to introduce this guy here as Zechariah. You guys ever heard of Zechariah? Well, Zechariah, you remember last week, Matt, can you come on up here? Matt was playing Jehoiada, right? Last week. And um, just imagine for now that Matt is Jehoiada, and here, Zechariah, is his son. Now remember, Jehoiada rescued, along with his wife and his nurse, when he was an infant, right? And protected him. And we don't know how, when Joash found out that he was actually king. It may have been when he was seven years old that he found out that he was actually the king. But you can imagine here that Zechariah and Joash were friends, right? Does that make sense? In fact, maybe most of the kingdom thought that Joash might have, they might have just mistaken him as Jehoiada's son all along, right there. You know, they might have been twins, playmates. Would you like to be friends with the king? Not so sure. Yeah, it's a big deal being king. But you know what? Joash didn't stay seven years old. He grew up. He grew up. And, and so did Zechariah. And so did Jehoiada. So we need new actors. So we need a new Jehoiada to come on up to be the high priest. So we're going to fast forward. We're going to fast forward 23 years, all right? And so we have the high priest, Jehoiada. He's the old Jehoiada. But you grew up too, didn't you? Yeah, so we need someone to replace Zechariah. So, so Micah, you come on up here. You're, you're the son or maybe even grandson of Jehoiada, all right? So here now, you've grown up. Now this is Zechariah. See, they grow up. Who's going to be you? Hey, 
Timothy, come on up here. You see here, the king grows up too. He doesn't stay seven years old. And so, here now, we have an older, an older Joash. Just like we have an older Jehoiada, and just like we have an older Zechariah. Time goes by. Now, when he was seven years old, Jehoiada was his advisor, right? And now he's 30 years old. And you know what? Jehoiada is still his advisor. And look now, the two childhood friends, you think they're still friends? So we have the king, we have the high priest, and we have the high priest's son or grandson. And um, we presume that these two were friends. And so time has gone by. You just disappear for a little while. The high priest here is advising Joash. And Joash, you're heeding the advice. You're listening. You're following the advice. Remember on the day of your coronation, what were you given? The law. The law of the Lord. And you know what? Apparently, he had been reading it. He'd at least been taught some about it. Because soon after, and we're not sure exactly how soon, it may have been 20, 23 years, at least by his 23rd year, this, this king had decided that some things needed to be taken care of. Because if we look up there again in our timeline, you see the green there of Athaliah just before he became king? Ah, there's some terrible things that happened in those seven years with Athaliah. The temple, you're the high priest. It's been neglected. It's falling apart. I, it's implied it needs a whole lot more than just some tuck pointing. It needs a whole lot of work. It's crumbling. And not only does the building itself need a lot of work, but the holy vessels, maybe even all the way to the golden altar of incense, maybe even the Ark of the Covenant. It doesn't give specifics, but it tells us that Athaliah and her sons had taken of the golden and silver vessels out of the temple of Jehovah and had used them and dedicated them in the worship of Baal. And they've been lost. And the temple has been deserted. Well, this bothered, I'm sure, Jehoiada. And I'm sure, too, it bothered Joash. And so, as time continues on here, it tells us there in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 4 that it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And he gathered together the priest and the Levites. Remember all those people that were there on the day of his coronation? Well, they've all been gathered together again, the priests and the Levites. And he has a command for them. 
Go out unto the cities of Judah and gather all gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that ye hasten the matter. Ah, hasten the matter. Go quickly, do this quickly. Go out and gather from all the people money to repair the house of the Lord. But look what it says there at the end of verse 5. Albeit the Levites hastened it not. They didn't hurry about it. It doesn't say they didn't obey. They just didn't hurry. Some have thought that maybe they didn't hasten it is because up to this point, some of that income had been coming to them. And by going out and gathering of this income, it was going to lose, they were going to take a pay cut. Who wants to hasten their own pay cut? But it's not real clear, because the Levites gathered and earned their income and the priests in different ways. This was more of a census. This was more of a census. That means it was a numbering of the people and a tax, an equal tax, of the same amount of money of every single person. There's a lot of details, and in your harmony, I've given a few little notes of Old Testament passages in the law that talk about and give details of how taxes, certain taxes, particularly this kind of tax, was supposed to be collected. But the Levites, they did not hasten it. And so time goes by, and we don't know how long. A few months, a few years. Not more than 23 years. Because when Joash was in his 23rd year, 30 years old, he calls for Jehoiada, the chief. The chief what? The chief priest. And so he calls for him. And Jehoiada comes to him, and, and he asks him. Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the congregation of Israel for the tabernacle of witness? For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, hath broken up the house of God, and also all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord did they bestow unto Balaam. Well, no answers recorded. You know what the king called together? He now makes a commandment. Make a chest. And set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. And so that's exactly what happens. Jehoiada, along with a king's scribe, come on, king's scribe and and high priest's officer, and they, they create this chest. Here it is. You can get over on that end to grab it. They built this chest. Nice big chest. And so they take this, and we're going to imagine over here is the king's palace, and we're going to carry it over here, and we're going to put it by the door of the temple. And so that's exactly what they did. They brought it over, and they set it right here, we'll be good, at the door of the temple. And so they made a proclamation. The king, he makes a proclamation throughout all of Judah and Jerusalem. And what is this proclamation? Bring in to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. Oh, what is that? Well, now, besides just the general tax of the people, the king 
is calling upon the people to do just as the nation did back in the days of Moses when they were in the wilderness. And that is, is beyond the tax that everyone paid, was for the people to willingly and freely bring and give towards this project. Well, you know what happened. Well, it tells us here in verse 10 that all the princes and all the people, they rejoiced and they brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. Well, this end is quite interesting for it tells us that this chest couldn't hold all the treasures. In fact, every day they had to empty the treasures. And so it tells us here that it came to pass that when the time that the chest, it was brought to the king's office. Let's bring it back to the palace. And there were two guys in charge of this. Two guys. One was the high priest's officer, and one was the king's scribe. And so they brought it back, and you know what they did? When they brought it back in, it says that they, they opened it and they emptied it, and day by day they gathered of the money and they put it up in bags and they told the account of it. And so each day they emptied it out, they put it into storage, and you know what? They carried it back to the temple for the next day. And this happened day by day. And you see there, it tells us that all the people rejoiced and brought in the chest. They rejoiced. Now, this reminds me of something, something very special. Can you take your Bibles and turn with me to another passage? Not in 2 Chronicles, but in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and look with me at verse 7. This is an instruction given to us. It says here, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You see that word there back in 2 Chronicles chapter 24? What did it say? It said that the people rejoiced. Now, they all got censored, or censored is the wrong word. They all got a census. They all got numbered. They all got counted, and they all got taxed. You didn't know that's the real reason for census. You know, they count the number of people and all the advertisements in 2020 for the census was so that we could know how much your community can get. Well, really, yeah. But in order for you to get something, somebody has to be taxed. And so a census is really about taxing, taxing, taxing. And that's the same way it was way back then. And that was of necessity. But beyond the necessity, this was that of free will. And so when people would come, this wasn't here for the people to come. I have to give to this project. I don't want to do this, but okay. That's grudgingly. Or necessity. The king sends out the soldiers, and they go from town to town, and they count everybody, and they require everyone a shekel. Of necessity, I better do it. 
or else, so you give. But God says, that's not the kind of giver I want. He says here in verse 7, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver, one who is happy about it. And if we read the whole passage here, it's fascinating. Look back at verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Virgil preached about casting your bread upon the waters? That's the sowing here, and it's about sowing bountifully. If you only sow a little bit of seed, you're only going to get a little bit. And the same is when we give. If we're giving liberally, we're giving fruitfully. Oh, the rewards we reap. Sometimes in this life, but most definitely in the kingdom of heaven, there are rewards of bountiful harvest. For then it goes on in verse 7, our key verse, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. You see, when we are cheerful givers, it's a sign of our thanksgiving to God. And that's what was going on back in this day. Beyond the tax, this chest kept getting filled up day after day. I wonder if you ever had to empty it in the middle of the day. I don't know. It doesn't say. But it got filled day by day, and day by day, they brought it back to the king's palace, the king's scribe, and the high priest's uh, servant. And day by day, they brought this back and forth. Well, what are they gathering this money for? They're gathering this money so that they can repair, repair the temple. Well, time goes by, money comes in. Lots of money. Not enough money, but lots of money. Enough money to begin the projects, to begin the projects. And it tells us here in verse 12 that the king and Jehoiada, they, they gave this to such as did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. And they hired masons. Those are guys that work with stone and brick. And carpenters, guys that work with wood, to repair the house of the Lord. And also, such as wrought iron and brass, to mend the house of the Lord. They started to work on this. They delivered this money that had been collected over to workers to get the work done. And here we find something interesting in our harmony. We're over in 2 Kings. For it tells us over in 2 Kings that they had hired all of these. 
And they had all of this money brought together to do this work. For it tells us that they had hired them to repair the house of the Lord, to repair it. But then in 2 Kings chapter 12 and verse 13, it says this, Howbeit there were not made for the house of the Lord bowls of silver, snuffers, basins, trumpets, any vessel of gold or vessels of silver of the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. You know what? It's implied they didn't have enough. But you know what else is also implied? Because if we kept on reading in Second Chronicles, we find out that they did make vessels of gold and vessels of silver. Some people jump up and down all excited because they think that the Bible contradicts itself and they can say the Bible's not true. But do they have a reason to do that? No. Is the Bible true, yes or no? It's true. So what do we do with this contradiction? Well, if we compare and we keep reading, we're going to find out that not only is there no contradiction, but there's a really important lesson given. It is planning and prioritization. At this point, and even in fact, when First or Second Kings was written, they didn't have enough money to make the gold and silver things. They didn't have the money. That's what it says. Second Chronicles was written later, and we're going to find out that the money was delivered to the workmen to do all of the work, and when they finished repairing the house of the Lord, got the structure stable and right, they had extra money. And they brought that extra money back to his majesty, to the high priest. And do you know what they did with that extra money? They then used that extra money to make the gold and the silver things. You see, we have some wise people here who know there are certain projects that are more important than other projects. And so, sometimes we like to focus and do the flashy things. You know, the gold and the silver things. Who wants to worry about the block walls? How boring. Or who cares about the roof? It doesn't look pretty. But even our own selves here, before we could do any, some things, we had to make sure to save up to do the roof first. Because if the roof isn't done first, even though there's nothing special, how many of you ever went out and admired the roof? Some of you do, yeah. <laughs> because you appreciate it. You appreciate, you see the value, the importance of it. Well, the same was true in this time. They did what was most important in securing the temple, the structure. And then when they had money left over, they did the rest of the work, the other things that needed to be done. And you know what, how we learn that? We see that by comparing Second Kings with Second Chronicles. They completed all of this work, for it tells us in um, verse 13 of Second Chronicles 24, so the workmen wrought, and the work was perfected by them, and they set the house of God in his state and strengthened it. And when they had finished it, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada. Wherefore were made vessels for the house of the Lord, even vessels to minister and to offer withal, and spoons and vessels of gold and silver. 
And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. The temple had been rebuilt, been strengthened, and they began the ministry in full force day by day. Now, some other lessons that we need to learn from this. And again, by comparing record with record. Let's look over at at 2 Kings. Can you turn over to 2 Kings? There's there's something I want to point out to you in, in 2 Kings that's important because it's very important to know what it means. We have this offering and we have this work, this money delivered over to the workmen to do this work for the Lord. And if you're on your harmony, it's on page 21 at the bottom in 2 Kings chapter 12. Second Kings chapter 12, verse 15, records something that's not recorded in Chronicles. I think we need to take a few minutes and talk about it. It says this, Moreover, hereafter they had given the money to the workmen, for the workmen to do this work. It says, Moreover, they reckoned not with the men into whose hands they delivered the money to be bestowed on workmen, for they dealt faithfully. Did you see that? It says, moreover, they reckoned not with the men into whose hands they delivered the money to be bestowed on workmen, for they dealt faithfully. Now, let me tell you how some have, have concluded this. While this means that um, businesses, organizations, and churches, of sure, don't have to reckon their finances, because, of course, you just put faithful people in charge and everything will be taken care of, just like they did back then, right? Ah, not exactly. It's a good answer. No, 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 no. Let's look at this a little bit closer here. This is not saying that there's no need for church business meetings. There's no need for church financial records doesn't mean there's no need for reckoning. If we look a little bit closer, we'll find out why there was no reckoning. Well, one key word to look at is not just that these were faithful men. You notice it doesn't say that they were faithful men. It speaks of what they did, not of who they were. Do you notice that? It says that they dealt faithfully. Now, do you know what a faithful steward will do if he is dealing? That means doing things faithfully. He is not going to wait to pull together his financial reports until the boss comes and calls for a reckoning. Oh, no. A faithful steward will have accurate records will manage things frugally and faithfully and be prepared at any moment. And in fact, what we actually find out by comparing 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, the reason why there was no reckoning is because the people who were managing the money did a reckoning themselves, voluntarily came back to the king, came back to the high priest and reported to them the work is done. 
Here are the details. Here are all of the funds. And oh, by the way, here's the surplus. There was no need for a reckoning because the stewards were dealing faithfully and were proactively reckoning. All through this, in fact, we find financial and accuracy taking place. Notice the two representatives responsible for transporting the money. If we compare Scripture with Scripture, we see there's, a fi- there's an accurate record that is being kept every single day of what's coming in. And here now, at the end of it all, these workmen and these who were overseeing the funds, they dealt faithfully. There was no reckoning. Reckoning sometimes carries the idea of, you know, just reconciling the checkbook, but sometimes it carries this idea of you're called to account. Did you do what you were supposed to do and you were found not to have? Oh, no. These guys were found to have been dealing faithfully. There was a reckoning, but it wasn't a reckoning that resulted in trouble or problems. Do you see how it all pieces together? So it is important. It is important to be faithful stewards always ready to give an account. In fact, in the New Testament, it's said of us as Christians that it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. And all through the parables of stewards and all through the principles of it, even with us as Christians, we're looking to the day when Jesus comes back when we will not have a reckoning, but when we will give an account. And that day will be a day of rewards. So notice here, yes, there are faithful men who are put in charge, but faithful men are just not some title you give to someone and just whatever. A faithful person is expected to be dealing faithfully, and that includes faithful record-keeping, stewardship, faithful frugality. And in fact, I wonder, I have a suspicion. You see, they didn't have enough money to do the golden vessels and the silver vessels. But when they finished strengthening the house of the Lord, they brought the extra money back to his, the king and back to the high priest, and then they built them. I wonder if maybe they had extra money because some people donated labor. I wonder. Now, we know that the laborer is worthy of his hire. Those who do work are worthy of the hire. They're worthy of pay. But sometimes a laborer voluntarily says... Though worthy, I want to do it for free. There's some like that in this church. And maybe, maybe that's what happened here. And that's maybe why they had some extra money. is because some people may have donated their labors so that other things could be done. And so there's a lot going on here. They've, they've collected the money. They've strengthened the house of the Lord. And apparently as time goes by, more money comes in and more money comes in till eventually they also remake the vessels of gold and silver. And the ministry of the temple continues. Now, there's another piece over in 2 Kings that's a little piece of note there. And this is interesting. In 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 16, it tells us this. The trespass money and the sin money was not brought into the house of the Lord. It was the priest's. Now, we don't have time to go into talking a lot about what the trespass money was and the sin money was, but these were also funds that would be brought into the temple as well as animals. And you know what's fascinating? The big, grandiose building project 
was not to the neglect of the priests. That's important, too, in building projects in all times. A priority still needs to be placed upon the people in the ministry, not just the physical things. That's true also when you're building a house. You may be so focused in cleaning out this drain or that drain, or you got the leaky roof spot here, or who knows, some kids were digging up near the house and all this rainfall makes it so it's seeping into the basement, puddling there. All kinds of projects to do. Building the house, but can you neglect to focus on the people in the house? Do you see? There's a balance. Even here, in the provision and the care. Yes, there's the provision and the care for the property, the building, the temple. But it's not to the neglect of the priests or the ministers in that temple. Well, the temple is restored. And that's awful exciting. I imagine this was really exciting for you, Jehoiada. Because remember, we talked about Jehoiada. He was an old man. Way back. You see up there? Rehoboam? Remember, the temple had been filled full of gold. I mean, they had taken giant gold shields and hung them up in the temple and stored. When Rehoboam became king, the temple was filled with gold. They had so much gold, they were using it for giant decorations and to store it. Back when you were a baby or a wee little boy, the Ammonites came in and they ransacked that temple and they took away all the gold and all the silver. I wonder, if not you remembering that as a little boy, you sure did hear about it as a little boy. And now here, 120, 130 years later, we're rebuilding some of that. So that's finally coming back under Jehoiada's leadership as he is the regent and advisor to his majesty, King Joash. Wow! The ministry of the temple is continuing and they're burnt offering burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. Oh no, all the days of Jehoiada. Well, look here, it says, but Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. A hundred and thirty years old was he when he died. You're dead. And you know what? The people loved him so much and knew how much that he had helped as regent, advisor to King Joash, that it tells us that they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. I hope that can be said of me one day, that I did good toward God? Are we doing good toward God? You had a great advisor. You had a great regent, didn't he? Well, now Jehoiada has died. Perhaps your childhood playmate, Zechariah. We know Zechariah is now high priest. He 
may have been your playmate as a little boy. And so now Jehoiada's dead. And the princes come before him. I need all the princes, all of the princes. Who are, who are all of my princes? Oh, I see some people shaking their heads. No, that's not good. I need all kinds of princes. Okay, Christopher, you want to come up here and be a prince? Mr. Fleming, you want to be a f- prince? Now stand, just stand right here. How about you, Mr. Vondi? You want to be a prince? He's not sure he wants to be. Micah, you want to be a prince? Now, we can't confuse characters with, with uh, Matt, so we'll leave him there. Mike, um, Nathan, I'm sorry. You, Nathan, you want to be a prince on up here? See, we got four. Okay, I need the princes to start lining up. Uh, you, all you boys there in the Rillama family, you guys going to be princes? Yes, we need lots of, oh, right. This guy here has got a royal name. He'll be a prince. All right. Some good princes. We got lots of princes. I'm curious of all you princes. How many of you know what's about to happen? You guys really don't want to be princes. Mr. Smith, Isaac, come, come, please be. Oh, come on, come on. I've got more here until I run out. All right. He wants to be a king. Ah, uh, yes. Did I? Oh, here's a guy. I've got room for one more prince. All right, Mr. Vanderworth, my final prince. Yes, we've got all of these princes, royalty. Now, you know what you all are going to do? You're all going to come in and do obeisance to the king. Do you know what that means? That means you're going to bow down before him. You know, you're going to bow before this king. He, he is your Lord. He's your king. And so all you princes come, bow, and then circle around behind him. Bow before the king and then circle around behind him. Big circle around them. Look at all of these princes here before the king. It tells us, now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. And you know what? It just skips over something in the record. It skips right to the fact that the king hearkened to them. Do you know why you've all come to the king? Some of you are going to wish you weren't princes. You've all come to the king to tell him, we want to worship Athaliah's gods. We want to worship the gods that Solomon's wicked wives worshipped. We don't want to worship the Lord. We want to worship false gods. Now, your majesty, for many years you've had an advisor, Jehoiada, who has advised you in right things. Is it real? 
What do you think? Is it real? Is his faith in Jehovah God real? Strong enough so that when these great princes of Judah come in, bow to him as their king, and then say, let's serve other gods. Will he listen to them? Or will he remember the wise counsel of the only father he ever knew, Jehoiada? Oh, oh. In 2 Chronicles 24, middle of verse 17, it says, Then the king hearkened unto them. That means that he heard them and he did what they said. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. And you know what? It tells us that wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their trespasses. And not only that, but the Lord, he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord. And they came and they testified to them, you have sinned against the Lord. Turn from this wickedness to God. But you know what these guys all did? I don't think he shook his head. Oh, no, no, no. They stopped their ears. So do it. Turn your backs on me. I'm the prophet. No, this, this is the way it was. When the prophets came and spoke and rebuked them, they would not give them ear. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. You can turn around, guys. Because you know what? I don't think they actually did that. You know what they probably did? They probably sat there and looked and smiled and didn't say a word. They just didn't listen. They just didn't listen. They didn't hearken. Until one day, one day, Jehoiada's grandson comes. Now, Zechariah, the high priest, do you remember him? Perhaps the king's childhood playmate of the same generation at least, Zechariah comes before the king and these princes, and he says unto them, Thus saith God, why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that ye cannot prosper? Because ye hath forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. And this pronouncement was given by Zechariah. And he turned and he left and was returning back to the temple. And you know what was going on here? There was a huddle. But it wasn't just a huddle. You guys don't know how to huddle? There was a conspiracy. A real one. They conspired against Zechariah and the king 
gave a command. We don't like what this prophet says. Go kill him! And so these priests, they gathered up stones. They gathered up stones and they went after Zechariah. This was the conspiracy to kill Zechariah. So they went with their stones and they followed Zechariah into the very temple of the Lord. And it tells us that they stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. They marched right into the temple and they killed him. Thus Joash, the king, remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died... Zechariah said, The Lord look upon it and require it. Not only did they kill Zechariah, but as we keep on reading later, in verse 25, we find out that he killed the sons, plural, the sons, plural, more than one of the sons of Jehoiada. The boy king. Such hope we had for him. The boy king who followed in the ways of his adopted father Jehoiada. How could you? How could he? Oh, we're all out of time. But please come back this afternoon because we're going to pick up where we left off. Because there's a lot more here. As we ask this question, who do you give ear to? Who do you give ear to? That's the lesson we learned from Jehoiada, to ask ourselves this question. To whom do we give our ears? Who do we hearken to? We come from the boy king, collected from among the bleeding dead, his life spared, brought into the bosom, the home of Jehoiada the high priest, Nursed and cared for, protected, guarded, brought forth, crowned king, to then, before his reign is out, doing just as his grandmother. But instead of murdering seed royal, he murders the priestly seed of his adopted father. Oh, oh, who do you give? your ear to. Lord Jesus, may we wake up and gird up the loins of our minds this day as we consider this history. May we learn from it. May we grow in you. We need you. 
And may we always give ear to you and hearken unto you. And may you be glorified in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.